Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Jundo, there's a question I've been meaning to ask you for years. And what is that, Kirk? What is your favorite color? Puce. Puce? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't even know exactly what is puce. Uh, I was thinking that you just picked that because it's a funny-sounding word rather than because it's an actual color. Well, you know, it is Zen, a color, by the way. In Zen, you're supposed to be uh, spontaneous, but the, the point of the fact is you caught me a little off guard. I haven't really thought about it. What's my favorite color? I really like all of them. You know, if we didn't have all of them, we wouldn't have a world of colors. Yeah, but that's a cop-out. Yeah, it is. You have to but... choose a preference. You have to weigh the pros and the cons okay, of each color. Uh... You have to sort them into piles and find the one that rises above the others. Well, let's see. Okay, the sky is blue. That's really nice. I like fire engines. That's right. I'm going to go with the sky. I'm going to go with the sky and the ocean, blue. Okay. What's yours? Well, mine has always been blue in a way, too. Um, I tend to gravitate toward that. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember when I was young and people started talking about having a favorite color. I didn't understand why anyone would have a favorite color because, as you say, they're all quite nice. But it's true that when I – like on my computers, you know, I'll put a blue desktop wallpaper right. um, rather than some other color. I don't want something distracting. In some ways, I like blue because it's the least overwhelming of the colors, at least to me. Well, you know, the fact is, as a, a Zen guy, I wanted to say to you that I'm beyond all preferences. I don't have a favorite color. I don't have a favorite ice cream. Whatever color or flavor of ice cream life hands me, I'm fine with it. But you know, it's not true. I got likes and dislikes like everybody. Of you know? course. I got. I choose wallpaper for my bathroom, and I go into the 36 flavors at Baskin Robbins, and I go for the cheesecake. I don't pref like the strawberry. Cheesecake? I like the really? cheesecake. Yeah, no, it's good. Oh, that's not an ice cream flavor. Speak that's, for yourself, that's... sir. <laughs> it's you know? like ice cream with Oreo cookies. That's not ice cream. That's no, just I some like... sort of a... Okay, I got to confess, now that you said it, I, I'm kind of torn. If I, but should I get the cheesecake or the Oreos, the cookies and cream? It's a hard – I'm going to get both. That's, a, that's the solution. Oh, yeah, but then there's other colors. You're going to get all three or all four or all five. And see, it this is depends. the problem. When you go to get ice cream, um, either you get the one flavor that is the best flavor of all, which is right. coffee, or, oh. you end up, or you end up with another flavor that you may slightly regret and you're thinking about – another flavor while you're eating your cheesecake or oreo cookies and isn't that part of the problem with having favorites that you're always regretting not having something else i'm regretting that you mentioned coffee because there's nothing good about coffee belongs <laughs> in a cup in the morning all right that's it not in an ice cream flavor but you know the the thing is there, there's actually a serious message we you know this is zen pot we got to get a little serious here okay ask me what the serious message is well we agreed that we would try and do a light and fun episode, but there can still be room for a bit of serious message. Yeah, a little, so what's little, the serious just message? A little. 
All right, the serious message is, at the same time you have your preferences, cling to them lightly. And whatever life does hand you, accept it. If you want the cheesecake, but life hands you that ah, coffee, accept the coffee. All right? There's your message. The Duca of Baskin-Robbins. Yes. The Duca of ice cream. Yes. Exactly. Yes. You know, one of the most interesting flavors of ice cream I ever had was Roquefort cheese. Oh, And I no. had this the first time I went to Paris back in the early <sighs> 1980s. There was a... Uh, an ice cream shop that had ice cream in flavors like Roquefort and Foie Gras and things that you wouldn't think were ice cream flavors. Did, did you say Foie Gras? Foie Gras. You know, the yeah. fatty liver of, of ducks and geese that they make. Oh, yeah. You, you live in France. You, you pronounce no, it No, you still live in Fra- France. Foie Gras. Foie Gras. Duck liver. Foie Gras. Duck liver ice cream. Duck liver well, ice cream. More like a duck liver pate. More like, um, what, what do you call it when you put it on bagels? You know the whatever it is, it's a crime against humanity. You know the Buddha. The Buddha said there were certain things that you shouldn't do. You know, do not kill. Do not steal. Spoke about ice cream. Do not eat duck flavored ice cream. This is no. This is true. (laughs) Now in Japan, they got some weird ones. They got the wasabi flavored ice cream, which is actually kind of good. It it kind of grows on you. It gives you you know it's sweet, but it got a little tingle for the nose. It's good. But not for every day. Every day you want to go back to your basics. And, and there's always good old vanilla. No problem with vanilla. Uh, there, that's something we can agree on, the primacy of vanilla. Vanilla is the true face of all other flavors. All things stem from vanilla. Right. So vanilla ice cream is the base upon which all other ice creams are formed. If there's a universe of things, the underlying sweetness of it all is good old vanilla. Do you have a favorite fruit? A favorite fruit? Um, the persimmon? No, I, I actually know. I have a persimmon tree in my backyard. Uh, and uh, once a year, we, ha- we have a feast of persimmon. The persimmon is very much underrated. We, we get a whole tree full. We make persimmon jam. We, we, we make a persimmon uh, uh, sauce, you know. A persimmons are... But getting away from persimmons for a second, let's go with the basic apple. The apple's a good fruit. How about you? If I had to choose one fruit above them all, it would be fresh cherries right off the mm. tree. Yes. No, okay. We're on the same page. My, my ex-in-laws were farmers in southern France, and mm. whenever I visited in summer, I would get peaches and cherries and apricots um, mm. ripe off the tree. And, and fruits, as you know from your persimmons, fruits are never as good as when they're ripe and picked right off the tree like that. You know, and, and cherries on, on a beautiful dish of ice cream, except for any of the flavors you mentioned, uh, <laughs> which it would just ruin everything. But uh, no, the, the fruit, you know, represents our life. Our life is the, the, the fruit of the planet. You know, we say that uh, things have come to fruit, that uh, our sweetness that is of life, this is what the fruit teaches us. Now, but like the persimmon, I have to tell you, can also be bitter sometimes. You know? Well, aren't there two types of persimmons? There's the one that is extremely bitter if you eat it too soon, and then there's the other one that's closer to an apple. Uh, our persimmons, if you get them too soon, they are very bitter. You have to just wait for the right few weeks, and 
then everything is luscious. Everything's and timing when, too. And when they're perfectly ripe, they actually look like they're overripe. They get mushy and mushy, they're the kind yeah. of fruit that doesn't sell well in a store because they're easily damaged. It's like if you get figs at the, the perfect time of ripeness, they're very mushy. And if you put them in a store, they'd all get crushed. Well, you know, I, I live with farmers here and, and uh, they, we exchange vegetables and fruits here. And nobody judges things by appearances. It's unlike going to the supermarket where they put wax and they go for the, the, the beauty of, of our stereotyped appearance. But the fruit, the taste itself may be lacking. It's just like many things. It's just like you and me. Kind of a, we have our bumps and bruises, don't we, Kirk? Oh, all the time. But it's the sweetness inside that counts, you know? Don't turn away from a bruised cantaloupe because the bruised cantaloupe might be the sweetest of all. And this is a lesson for all of life. Uh, so I live next to a farm. My landlord is a farmer. And right next to my house is a tiny farm shop. It's the size of a garage. Um, it has what they call an honesty box in it. Basically, you just leave the money to pay for what you've taken. Right. There's a scale so you can weigh things. And he's always saying that people won't buy the, the vegetables that don't look good. Uh, it's oh. quite surprising. And people come in particular because it is such a rustic farm shop, yet they still want the good-looking vegetables and they leave the, the other ones. It, it kind of sounds like there should be a Disney movie about the, the vegetables that didn't get selected. Well, you know what happens to those vegetables? We end up eating them anyway because they get used and put in sauces and various things. And, uh, we, you know, the, the, the ugly vegetables are just go into our bodies a different way. But why are we so obsessed with appearances? Not only with vegetables, but with, with people, with, with all the, the things that these days we're so attached to, superficial things without asking about the real sweetness, the real nutrition, the real worth of not only fruit, but people. But is it just these days? You say these days, and maybe we're more attentive to it because of social media and selfies, but didn't the Buddha talk about the same sort of thing back 2,500 years ago? He talked about buying good fruit? No, about how people are wedded to appearances, how we look at things on the surface and not look into the depth of them. How we judge things incorrectly by the way they look instead of by what they really are. Well, we even judge Buddha by, we want a good-looking Buddha, don't we? He's all gold and all shiny, you know. I've got a, a Buddha statue in our Zendo here that's all pockmarked and, and kind of broken. And, uh, you know, I have it there specifically because it's an ugly Buddha. We usually like our Buddha to look good, too. But when it comes to bananas... Why do we care? You know, uh, I live in Japan. My uh, grandmother here uh, lived right after World War II. And she says that they were so hungry that to get a banana was like getting the finest caviar. The first time she saw a banana, she didn't know what it was. She ate it, the whole thing, without peeling it. She didn't know how to eat it. <laughs> you know? And they didn't care it was bruised. They didn't care what it was. It was luscious because they were so hungry. Well, now we, we have so much. We have stores, you know, uh, filled with 15 types of bananas, and we don't appreciate it as much. Yes, we don't appreciate it as much because it's so accessible. But what bothers me, and so I've lived in France for a long time, and I've been in the U.K. for six years, 
In France, you would generally get fruits in season. You would get your cherries in July or August. You would get melons in August and September. You'd get strawberries in March, April, May. But here in the UK, you get the same fruit all year round. And you you know it's not coming from this country because most fruits don't. Um, But it takes away the specialness of getting those first strawberries of the year or getting those first cherries of the summer. Zen people always appreciated the passing seasons, that nothing lasts. The cherry blossoms that are on the tree for just a few days and then they flutter down. If you had cherry blossoms year-round, no one would write poems about them. So I do think that we have to appreciate the moment, the passing season, the things that come and go. We have to appreciate this more and be willing not only to savor the fruit when it's in season, but also to see the season end. And isn't that true for our lives? Just a series of seasons? That's very good. That's going my back job. To your, going back to your ugly Buddha and the ugly fruit, I wonder if the Japanese are more willing to accept ugly fruit and vegetables because of that Japanese idea of wabi-sabi, the idea that imperfection can have beauty. Absolutely. And also, they take the fruit and they use it for what it is. For example, um, uh, I know a, a Japanese chef who will take a sweet persimmon or a bitter persimmon, and he will use it according to what it is and what it meets in the, the, the other foods that it melds with. And we have to be very good in life in doing this. You know, Our life is filled uh, basically with a shopping cart of whatever is handed to us, right? I'm not talking about literally a shopping cart. I'm talking about all the events, the people, the fortunes of life, the weather and what happens to us is a basket of vegetables and fruit we're handed. And our job is to have a discerning tongue to take what we're handed. You know, there's an old Zen saying, if you're handed lemons, make lemonade. You know, we can... I thought it was that... Groucho Marx guy who said that. Actually, I think it was Mark Twain, but... Yeah. Well, whoever said it, I, wisdom it, it is it wisdom. Is a very fitting, it is a very fitting saying. Yeah. yeah. Use well whatever life hands you, even if it's not what you want. That's the bottom line. Do you have a favorite sport? Sumo. Really? Yeah, I've been here a long time. I used to like American football, but then I got into sumo. Sumo is a good sport because, you know, I got a, I got a couple inches around the middle. And you watch sumo, and it's one of the few sports where the guy in the ring is bigger than the <laughs> spectators, you know? It is true. But, you know, they're actually very tough. They look, they look uh, large. They look like uh, they're uh, just uh, out of shape. But the, the opposite is quite true. And uh, it's an inspiring sport. You know, if you live in Japan, live in a foreign culture, you come to appreciate these things. Yeah, it's not a sport I know much about. I've only seen, you know, the occasional bit on TV, and I've never really tried to understand it. But it does seem to have a very Zen idea. You know, the way you look at Zen, I've always thought that baseball was very Zen, and that that's why the Japanese appreciate it so much. The batter's waiting for that perfect moment. The pitcher's waiting to throw the ball, and they're both conflicting the perfect moment on each side, the pitcher and the batter, and mm. someone's going to win in a way, either hitting the baseball or striking out the batter. Well, Zen is uh, part of uh, running all through Japanese culture, but, but sumo is really Shinto, you know. They're gods. Ah, okay. they, got, they got the spirit. And the Shinto ring is a Shinto shrine. 
where the gods compete. Uh, so it's something about the Japanese love of nature, sports, uh, and religion all mixed together in Shinto. And of course, uh, that comes into Zen too. But I, I think we, we, to be honest, the Zen people, we can't claim uh, uh, sumo. That goes to the Shinto folks. Okay. My, my thought that it was Zen is, is the fact that it's a, a sudden sport. Mm. That they wait until the moment they start, then they grapple, and then it's over really quickly, right? It doesn't last very long. Well, any sport can be a Zen sport. I mean, I used to play pinball. I remember, like, the real pinball. You know, you put a quarter in, you know, and pull the... Down in the bowling alley, you yeah. pull back the thing, yeah. and you make sure yeah. you don't tilt the machine when you get angry. Now, that was Zen. I didn't know Zen when I was 12 years old. But pinball, man, that's Zen, you know? You know, you know it's going to end up with the balls going to drain away sooner or later. It's not going to go on forever. But you are in that moment. You are in that moment. And you got to be quick. The mind quiets and just the fingers go, right? That was my first exposure to Zen, now that I look back. Well, there must have been others earlier than that. Maybe you had an imperfect banana and that made you appreciate the banananess of the banana. Well, uh, I, I, you know, uh, my first banana was probably I was about uh, six months old or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Be, when I was a child, we 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 uh, gradually come into the world and we develop our separate identities of self. First, uh, anything they stick in my mouth, I I just have to take it in. <laughs> I'm hungry, and but then we develop our likes and dislikes. You know, I don't like my bananas. I want my. Uh, my applesauce, and uh, we start crying, and and this is uh, how the rest of our life starts, with its likes and dislikes. But and so we have this little discussion here: what's your favorite ice cream? What's your favorite fruit? But the Zen message must go back to that earlier time when we were beyond all likes and dislikes. You know, the purpose of food is to keep us alive. We eat in Zen. What's ever placed in the bowl. We've talked about this before. You accept what's ever placed in the bowl. If it's bitter persimmons or sweet apples, if it's your gosh darn coffee ice cream, <laughs> I'm going to take it because someone, the universe, the donor was kind enough to place it in my bowl. I'll bow and get it down. So you're talking about mendicant um, Zen practitioners who would walk around with a bowl and get food from people as alms. And I believe once in another episode, you explained that um, even if these people were vegetarian, if they were given meat, they would eat the meat because that's what the other people were giving them. Yes, but there are limits too. Um, you would think if someone puts poison, someone puts uh, something that's really, uh, uh, let's say, a few weeks beyond the expiration date. Right. Uh just because it's placed in the bowl, I'm not going to eat it. So likes and dislikes serve a purpose. They keep us alive, don't they? You know, there are some things that the likes and dislikes get a little silly. You know, I, I like this luxury good versus that luxury good. I, I like persimmons versus apricots. This is, this is a luxury to be able to say this because there are hungry people in this world. But to say that I, when I'm hungry, I just want any food, that's going to be true. And on the other hand, pre preferences keep us alive. 
So in between, we've gone a little crazy with our preferences. Pre some preferences are needed to, to, you know, I prefer that the tiger doesn't eat me. But coffee ice cream versus uh, cheesecake, this is, a, how to say, a rich man's problem. You know what I mean? <laughs> a first world problem. In, in some ways, we have so many choices, though. There were just many. so many choices. And this actually stresses people out when they have to choose. Um, about 30 years ago, I had been living in France for a few years, and uh, my ex-wife and I went to Norway for a year. Her company was building oil rigs in Norway, and she was involved in the design process. Anyway, when we got there, we were stunned to see that when you would go into a supermarket, for example, for washing powder, there would be two choices. There would be one with phosphates and one without. I think they don't use phosphates anymore. But for many of the products, instead of the 15 choices that we had in France, in Norway, they only had two or three. Right. And there was something relaxing about that, to know that you don't have to think so hard about what you're going to buy when you go into a supermarket. Well, back in the Middle Ages, uh, when Zen developed, there were basically two choices, to stay alive or not. <laughs> that was the basic thing, you know. You know you, every day you'd get up and you'd say, I'm just going to try to make it to sundown without getting run through by a sword or starving to death. It was very easy. Uh, you ate what was available. Now, in the, in the monastery, they had one suit of clothes. The food was uh, usually rice, if they were lucky, or whatever else they could manage to get. And uh, things were simpler. Now we have so much, and we've gotten used to it. This is the problem. We expect and when you get, it. it. And it's increasing from the time I was young, you were young. First, you had 10 choices. You had ten. You had five channels on the TV. Now I got five hundred channels TV on the TV, and five hundred brands of uh, I don't know chocolate milk I can choose from, and it's going to be nuts. And by the time my kids are around, they're going to have fifty thousand channels. They already got it, and uh, God knows uh, how many flavors of chocolate milk. It's uh, I, it's going to be a kind of hell for them. Well, I think the world was a better place when we were young, and there was no cheesecake ice cream. No, 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 geez. no. When I when I was young, you you had the that that you know that box of ice cream my mother would get that had basically the three flavors inside, the vanilla, the chocolate, and the strawberry. And you know there was that terrible part where the strawberry would run into the chocolate. I didn't yep. care for that, you know. And I tried yep. you kind of try to get it. I I didn't care for the strawberries. I tried to cut it out. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was the choice you, you had. Uh, no, I, a few choices. It's uh, no. I I got to say something. The, the cream cheese, uh, obviously the cheesecake ice cream, that was a, a good development in the universe. One, <laughs> uh, maybe the whole point of the Big Bang. Did you ever think this? The whole point of the Big Bang was all the planets developed and the stars and the elements just to make cheesecake ice cream. It could be. We, don't, we have no proof that that was not the point of it all. You know. Well, if that's the case, then we have nowhere else to go. We've reached the singularity with cheesecake ice cream, and what else is there to do in the world? Uh, I have no idea, but I'm going to hit the fridge as soon as this podcast <laughs> is over. That's what I know. <laughs> do you have a favorite movie? Now, with Colors and Fruits, it's a lot more limited, so it's easier to choose. But when you get to songs and movies and books, it's a lot more difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Can, can yeah. you even say that you have one favorite movie? I got a bunch. I got a bunch yeah, of favorite, but movies. not one single. 
Not one single, but uh, uh, maybe if I had to be on a desert island with a you know a dozen, I could I could name it. Lawrence of Arabia, great film, gave me uh, a man who overcame many things and saw other cultures and and uh, opened his eyes to uh, the other people who were uh, considered in those days to be. Uh, uh, outside the realm of civilization. What a wonderful film. The Godfather. But only parts one and two. Oh, boy. Yeah, you know it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it is important to make these distinctions that The Godfather and one and two are excellent, but The Godfather three is kind of like cheesecake ice cream, at least to me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, The Exorcist, the great, uh, great movie. Now, you would think that, uh, you know, a Zen fellow, I'm... I'm I'm uh, supposed to be only about like uh, maybe Disney flicks about goodness and uh, little puppy dogs and and things. No, I I think uh, Zen folks we we like to look uh, fear and and evil a little bit in the eye, and movies help us do this. So movies yeah, if you're like, not aware uh, of it, you don't know what it can be like, what it can do. Exactly, and it it's somehow, of course, for all of us, safer to see it on the screen than in real life. Movies help us conquer our fears because when we, we scream and we see something scary that's you know projected on the wall, uh, it kind of helps us deal with the real fears we have in life. So I like a good, um, uh, you know, a good scare, a good horror movie, and I don't like the really bloody ones. I'm, 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 the, the Buddhist comes in there. I don't like to see too much violence in my films. But even then, you know, if I do watch The Godfather or, or uh, Breaking Bad was a great, you know, great show, it's good to see the dark side of human beings. Yes, I totally agree. Even if we don't act on that and become dark ourselves, we recognize what the darkness can be like. And, and the lesson is, for as a Buddhist, when you see the dark, it helps us realize the light, too. Okay, last question. Do you have a favorite Zen master of the past? It would be easy for you to say Dogen, but... Oh, I knew you were going to take that away from me. Do, do you rank them in order of Dogen and the rest? And yeah, Because we do talk about Dogen a lot in Soto Zen, but there are others that are maybe not as important, but still have their place. I think um, it's a little bit like baseball. Every player has his charm. And it is a little bit like uh, movie actors. They're all good if they're in the in the right moments and uh I, that's this is a really hard question i like wei nung uh because he was a lay person when he became the great ancestor people forget this he 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 is maybe the one of the ancestors of all ancestors but he was just a a working man he wasn't a priest he wasn't uh, a high up in the temple he was working in the kitchen and he was the one chosen to keep this light burning that's very special now, he means a lot to me. Okay. Roshi, where do we go from here? I have no preference and I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.